0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Why the Flick, a podcast where we watch a new movie each episode and ask ourselves, why the flick did we watch this? I'm your host, Claire. <laughs> And this week, I am very excited to announce two guests are on the podcast. Please join me in welcoming John and Georgia from Comfort Films Podcast. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. We're so happy to be here.
1: Yeah, I am
0: so excited to have you guys. Um, for those of you who may not know or are new, I was on the Comfort Films podcast last year, uh, and I talked about Jurassic Park, which for those of you who know me, it's like my all time favorite movie. So I was very thrilled to come on your podcast and talk about it even more. Um, so definitely wanted to return the favor and have you guys come on my podcast. Yeah,
2: we're super psyched to be here. We love talking Jurassic Park with you as well. Yeah, it was a good episode. uh, It was Mm -hmm. a no-brainer to say, yeah, we're happy to come back and talk to Why the Flick.
0: Yeah. Um, And so for the movie that we're going to be talking about today, um, I feel like last week we got a little bit of a tease, or not last week, but last episode, because we talked about the menu, and it stars Anya Taylor-Joy. And so this week we're going to keep The Anya train rolling because today's episode we're going to talk about Last Night in Soho. It was released in 2021, directed by Edgar Wright. Edgar Wright, who is most famously known for, I think, directing Shaun of the Dead and Scott Pilgrim versus the World. So this was definitely a movie that I have been meaning to watch and I did not get around to until you guys suggested it. So I'm glad you did.
2: Yeah, we we enjoyed this one a lot, and I thought it was hilarious that you just did the menu. Um, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, you guys are becoming an an Anya Taylor-Joy podcast now. (laughs) Um, Which, you know, is that the worst thing? Probably not, because I think she's great. No, Everything she does is excellent. (laughs) Excellent. Definitely. The menu was really one of my favorite movies of last year as well, so um, I thought that was a great pick. And this one... uh, we watched this because we enjoy Edgar Wright a ton. Um, I'm a huge Hot Fuzz fan. It's probably one of my top three favorite movies of all time. And really, I just love like, the Cornetto trilogy idea. I think Edgar Wright's a really great director. And he wrote this as well, or co-wrote it. Um, so when we watched it, I you know, knew it was going to be a good movie, but I didn't know exactly what to expect. And uh, we just really loved it immediately wanted to watch it again after we had seen it um, so it's probably not a thing I would pick to talk about on our show just because some of the <laughs> themes are not super comforty yeah, this is yeah I was gonna like gonna ask movie. is this a comfort movie for you guys <laughs> probably not <laughs> you know no. the funny thing is you know we'll pick some things that are very questionable um yeah. our next episode actually is gonna be on Goodfellas, which is somehow you know managed to be a comfort film but uh and we're doing a whole month on crime movies coming up comfort crime <laughs> of know. course that is company yeah. to a
0: lot of people true crime is a very like popular podcast category so
2: yeah and i mean usually we try to stay with things that you know aren't real people based so and i think we could have made a case for last night in soho but uh, when you ask us to come on. We actually thought, hey, this is a really good chance for us to talk about this without having to, you know, bend over backwards trying to explain Mm -hmm. how this is comforting.
1: (laughs) Well, it's a movie that we came to late. Like, I mean, we, you know, we're just like one night, you know, let's finally do it. Let's do it. And we watched it and we had no idea. I, I didn't remember any previews. I didn't remember anything about this. So we went in totally blind. So from the beginning, it was like, oh, wow. Okay. You know, I thought it was a period piece from the beginning when we see Mm. Ellie dancing in, you know, with a newspaper dress, which is super cool. And she's listening to the tunes. I'm like, oh, okay. And then I realize we're in the present day. I I mean, this movie has so much misdirection (laughs) that you just never quite know who anyone is, where you are or what's happening. And in terms of this being a comfort film, this is one of the most not comfort films I've ever watched. (laughs) I mean, this movie scares the shit out of me. Like, I, you know, I watch this, and then at night, I'm like, was that a shadow? Was that a faceless man? (laughs) I'm like, did someone die in here? Like, I don't feel very, like, comfortable at all, because, yeah, this is just a scary scary movie and like yeah. all these murders that that you have mm. really bring you back to like i mean it's funny because it's like things that we keep ending up talking about it goes back to like hitchcock with like psycho with that particular type of knife and then michael myers same type of knife mm. so it's like yeah. these sexual crimes
2: there's actually a, a a music cue that's a psycho kind of music cue and one of the songs, like yeah. Edgar Wright, specifically chose that song because it has this e e e kind of opening. Yeah, <laughs> I it's mean the,
0: the Celia Black song. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah, wow,
1: it, it's. I mean, you just can't. I don't know. This is just one that I. I can't believe that it works out, and I am optimistic. I do think at the end that Ellie and Sandy are friends. That's one thing I really want to say. I think that they are, yes, Mm. I think that they're friends. And so I watched this like three times, okay, in the past few days. And, And the one thing I want to say off the bat, which I think ties into why they're friends, and this is weird, I don't know, maybe you guys could give me something, is, okay, when we see Sandy come into the Café de Paris And, you know, the doorman's like, do you have a man with you? And she's like, no, I'm alone. And then she does her, you know, her mirror tap. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then we see Ellie appear. Now, this is bookended because at the very end, after Ellie's fashion show, you know, she sees her and they do that tap together in the mirror. And I was just like, oh. I
2: know. I have a lot of question marks about that tap. It's... And about what's going on there. Because, you know, the whole thing with Ellie is she's haunted mm-hmm. anyway. Like, she's she sees things. And this particular ghost has kind of attached to her. Um, and it has changed her as a person um, by the end of the movie. So, it's kind of like some of the things that she took from Sandy, she's kept. And mm-hmm. I do think, you know, they have a link even, you know, though, though Sandy is gone um, at the end, it doesn't really matter because Ellie can always see somebody, even if they're not physically here anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah to so. me, at the very end, it almost felt like this is another, not maybe like, I don't know if collection is the correct like word to even say, but just like this is another ghost who's going to continue to follow Ellie similar to her mother who keeps showing up in the mirror um, in the beginning and then we don't see her mom again until the very end and then Sandy is there too so it's almost like she's got friends I guess as ghosts in the mirror or or I don't know if they're really friends because it also seems very alarming to Ellie in the beginning but I think the whole thing that is very alarming anyway, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would not be comfortable with this at all. Like,
2: you know, no. I guess if you're a person like Ellie who has lived with it your whole life, maybe it's a little bit different. Um, but I think it's very scary. I mean, and we watched some supplemental stuff. Um, and Edgar Wright has a commentary on the disc that we have that uh, is with the writer, the co-writer and
1: Christy Wilson Cairns yes who and, also co-wrote 1917 oh wow yes I know she's incredible and that's she also a different
2: movie.
1: <laughs> right and she also wrote the good nurse the Jessica Chastain oh, movie that I okay. think's on Netflix oh, okay. I haven't seen that that's cool yeah so she's really really good
2: but yeah Edgar Wright kind of based this ghost thing on his own mother who would see ghosts um, and spirits and stuff and You know, he kind of seemed like he was used to it but at the same time completely freaked out by it. Um, (laughs) Oh sure. (laughs) Like his mother would say, Oh, I just figured out, you know, somebody died here and and remember Edgar when you kept hearing your name being called but it wasn't me? It was that ghost. and he's like uh great
1: yeah they found like an extra room in the house right
2: oh yeah yeah they found an extra room in
1: their house yeah oh it's horrible it's a
2: lot to it's a lot to deal with i would not want to be in that situation it was like a
1: child that was sick and the family never let the child out and the child died in there yeah and that's yeah and she's like wow
2: and he was haunting you i would be out of there i would be out of there she was was pretty (laughs) (laughs) blase about it (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I mean, I guess that's I guess that's kind of Ellie in a way too. like, yeah, it freaks her out, but uh, she's kind of used to it. So maybe for Mm -hmm. her, it's less scary than it would be for us. Um, Right. But I I, for me, definitely scary. I mean, things are scary for her, though. Like, when the men are coming out, obviously, Um, although it's so interesting. that that's another kind of misdirection which you were talking about mm. it's not that they want to hurt her or kill her the, the one like picks up the phone and is trying to get her to call for help <laughs> yeah. yeah you know because they're actually the victims in the end so right that was very smart writing and and really well done yeah well, and i think that gets
0: i'm sorry go ahead no no please please um i was gonna add that going back to like our like why the flick did we pick this movie i think that for me a lot of it is because I'm kind of a newly horror fan. And so I felt like, okay, I need to watch this movie um, because it does seem very much like a ghost story. And I didn't know what to expect uh, going into it. Certainly not this, um, but I think a lot of it was so well done. And when it comes to like the ghost story of it all, you know, we talk about how Ellie sees things and feels things and, um, you know, I think in the beginning, especially, it's not as horrifying. She's very fascinated by the 60s. And so she kind of gets to see this as like a trip that she can take into the past. um, And she can use her powers to do this. But then the movie changes from this lightness to very dark very quickly. Um, I think they have a really a lot of really good jump scares in this movie one particular one that got me was the first time that um i think it's like right when sandy has to sleep with that man for the first time and so uh ellie wakes up she goes to turn her alarm clock off and the guy grabs her hand and says like i know you're awake or something along those lines and then she wakes up again um yeah. and then like later on they're all standing in her room in their undergarments and it's just oh my god very horrifying
2: yeah it's 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 really gross because you know the the life that sandy had to live was horrifying in a very real non-supernatural kind of way um and even though those men you know as ghosts are victims cuz they've been murdered she was the victim in life, you know, when they were alive. So it's really, it really kind of makes you question, you know, who's, who's right, who's wrong. I think that Mm -hmm. there's a kind of an ambiguousness here. Um, And I like that because it really makes you think, you know, like, is there justification, you know? And one thing that Edgar Wright was playing off of, which I think is, so brilliant and smart, and this is one of the reasons I love him, is because he just takes these ideas and kind of mashes them all together. Um, you know, this is a girl, Ellie, who is obsessed with the 60s, and he kind of takes that obsession and takes the idea of, like, these old movies that were popular sometimes during the 60s about, like, young girl going to the city and kind of, you know, she's hoping for stardom, but then, you know, things are dangerous and bad there, so they're like these morality films of the 60s, Mm. Um, and that's kind of Sandy's life was like that, and I love how he makes that work, because the first scene that we have with Sandy, we're with Ellie, we think this is like a great dream, you know, she's, getting to, like, live this perfect 60s life that she's thought of. And it's very idyllic. Um, and, you know, it's all eyes on her. She's got this great pink dress, which I think is really unforgettable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she kind of walks into this really amazing hopping kind of bar and kind of owns the place immediately, mm-hmm. you know. And it's just this really exciting time to the point where, Like, later, you know, that night, the next night, Ellie can't wait to get home so she can try to continue this. Um, But then, very quickly, everything kind of turns and uh, goes down a totally different path. And I just love the way that they did that because I wasn't expecting it.
1: There's a lot with this. that Like, the structure is incredible um, in, in talking about this movie. I find it difficult because they have so many layers that, that are interconnected. And I mean, that's one of the reasons why the rewatchability is off the charts. I, I got mm-hmm. something new every single time. Like I just finished it for the last time, right before we came on here. And I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> that happened. Um, okay. So catch this. This, in a lot of ways, reminds me of the Alex Garland film Men, where oh, all of the I men are horrible. They're the worst <laughs> beings you've ever seen. They're all played by Rory Kinnear in, in that mo- in that movie. But in, in this, all of the men are are for shit. The only person that's good is John. John, yeah. John yeah. is like this bright, shining light in the darkness. You know, even the male cop, he is terrible.
2: Lindsay... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh
1: no! I mean, when she goes in to talk the to detective. the female cop, and the, oh, yeah, yeah, he is awful. He's yeah. not good. He's just very dismissive. Who follows up on it? The female cop. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Not the male cop, because they're not interested in it. Like she is just assaulted. She has the scumbag taxi driver, oh, right, yeah. hitting yeah. on her. Yeah. She has the kid. She has the kid from uh, the the school at the bar. You know, saying some oh, pretty lousy yeah. stuff, the too. The drunk kid. Yep. And then mm-hmm. the
2: other kid at the party who's yes. like, just insults the music she's listening to.
1: Right? It's like, and then when she goes to the library to check out the information, she has that guy, too, who just is like, oh, you're looking that stuff up about murders. Like, no one likes anything she's doing. And then we have Terrence Stamp, Lindsay. Now, that's, okay, this gets weird. What I have a question about um, is Lindsay possibly the father of Eloise. Because we have all these things. Did you think this, too? Yes. Okay, great. All right. This is like because a plot like...
0: hole that never got followed up on, and I was just really upset by that. But, yes, continue. See?
1: Yeah, okay, okay. All right, so it, it jump in. Like, I want to build this case. He says, "I I'm, He's like, I don't want to pick you up. Check. Okay, I'm Mm -hmm. like, okay, he knows her name, check. He plays that song, and he's really happy about it, Mm -hmm. okay? Now, it's just like, okay, you know, and then it's like when she changes her hair to blonde, this is where it gets interesting, is it's like, I think possibly that Lindsay thinks that Eloise is actually the child of Sandy,
2: I'm sure he thinks that. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because
1: he says, you know, I came back to this place, I looked her up, she didn't yeah. want to be found.
2: And he asked yeah. who's your mother? Yes. yes. Who's
1: your mother? Yes. Yeah. So and he said he knew all of the women. So if he was with all of the women, then it's very possible that he is her dad. So, yeah, it's fully unresolved. I I love that though about this because I feel like there are going to be enough clues that are peppered in, because they pepper in so much in this. Like the music, do you, do you guys realize like how many clues are in all of the music in this?
2: Oh yeah. I, well, yeah. Uh, one thing that just struck me the last time that you were watching it, I was in the other room, but I heard <laughs> when they start playing "Got My Mind Set on You," mm-hmm. when she's going back, um, she tells John she she can't go out because she has plans but it's just because she wants to go home and kind of dream again. Mm -hmm. And it's that she's hearing got my mind set on you because she's got her mind set on going back to this place and, and living this again, because this is her dream. You know, it's not, it's not even, it's like, you know, I guess you have these dreams that are just completely unachievable sometimes like, yes, it's her dream to go to fashion college and, you know, kind of live near Carnaby Street and, like, you know, be around these places. But she really wants to go back in time. Like, her real dream is to go back in time and live it back then, you know? Mm -hmm. Which obviously you can't do. But she can. She kind of almost finds a way to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then it's nothing like what she wanted. And this is kind of one of the themes of the movie, is that you're Your dreams are better as dreams sometimes Mm -hmm. than becoming reality, because in reality, it's not what you wanted it to be.
1: It's Well, with the got my mind set on you, okay, yes. Okay, Ellie has got her mind set on Jack. Jack seduces both Sandy and Ellie, and they show that visually in the dance. Which is an amazing cinematic feat. Oh my gosh. With yes. the steady cam. Did you, you see that with them like jumping in and out?
0: Yeah. And it they, was, it, except for like two parts, it was done realistically. So, and I like, there's a YouTube clip I'm going to put in the show notes, but it will show you like how they dip in and out of the dance, yes. both Ellie and, and um, Sandy. And it was just like amazingly done. So good.
1: Yeah. It, it's so impressive. And it does such a good job to show. How Jack really, you know, sells both of them. So I've got my mind set on you, yes. It could be like, I've got my mind set on you because of love. But, you know, I got my mind set on you, I also think, to Jack, is I've got my mind set on you because you are my opportunity to make money. In the song, it's going to take time. It's going to take a whole lot of patience and time. You know what I mean? It's going to take plenty of time to, to do, do it, it right, right, child. <laughs> yeah. And then you know it's going to take a whole lot of spending money. You know what I mean? So I feel like, again, it's like it's beautiful because it plays both ways.
2: Well, and it, every one of these people has a goal in mind, mm-hmm. and they're they think that their goals are the same, but they are not. Yeah, you know they're they're actually working against each other.
1: Well, and they have this. Oh, please go ahead.
0: Oh, no, no, continue.
1: Okay. So, like, the script, this is pretty wild, too. The script for Ellie, okay, and Sandy, it mirrors each other. But there is a significant difference. So, both come to London. Both have these big dreams of success. Both of them meet a romantic partner, right? So, Ellie meets John, who is the best man on planet Earth, lifts her up, supports her, stops her from stabbing Jocasta, (laughs) saves her from, you know, evil Diana Riggs, Sandy. He is, you know, the best, right? He's like the best guy out there. Then you have Jack. And what he does to Sandy is he takes these dreams and these hopes and he brings them down to the lowest depths and he destroys her, literally. Mm -hmm. So like Mm -hmm. when we see... Yeah, it's horrendous. And when we see that scene... Where Jack kills, you know, Sandy. Yeah, it couldn't be more right, you know, in terms of expressing the theme. And later, you know, when we have Diana Rigg, who is incredible, that scene, oh my God. And the way they cut back and forth between Diana Rigg to Anya Taylor-Joy talking and Diana Rigg's voice mm-hmm. and saying, you know, that, you know, I died up there.
2: <sighs> so, that's yeah. so good. Oh. I but you know what's a hundred funny about... times.
0: Oh, yeah,
2: you know what's funny rough. about your point is that um Jack is a nickname for John, so oh. the Matt Smith character could be named John, but he's oh. just goes by Jack, so oh, two. man. and then John also is a a slang term for um a guy who hires a prostitute. Oh so
1: Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
2: I, I guess being that your name is John. You might not immediately jump to that. I think about
1: toilet when I hear John. Like, I gotta go the John. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: But, like, like, wow. Well, Jack is kind of a toilet. (laughs) Major toilet. Absolutely.
0: And, I mean, that, that point aside, I will say, like, John, thank God for John, because he really is the only decent guy in the entire movie as you said like even like I for sure thought once she sees the vision of what she thinks is Jack stabbing Sandy and she freaks out in her bedroom and then he like you know knocks into the mirror and steps on the glass and then Miss Collins is telling him to get out and he rushes out I've thought for sure like this guy is done. He's not going to be her friend anymore. There is no way that he is coming back to, like, to see if she's okay. But then when she goes to class the next day, he, like, does care about how she's doing. And he believes her when she says that she can see things. And just his – just an applause for John, first of all. Like, at least – like yeah. there's at least some decent men out there. He, and it's not all almost, bleak. Yeah.
2: He's, like, almost too good to be true, really, because Mm -hmm. he also just believes her, understands her, you know, when it's like she's seeing things, he accepts that. He doesn't, like, really question it or consider that she's nuts, which I think most people would. Um, He's just, it's kind of one of those things where you do just meet, like, exactly the right person, and, and she, you know, meets him. The day that she shows up for school when all of these other things are going badly. Um, And that's the one thing that actually went well, was meeting Mm -hmm.
1: him. Well, he has a real connection, I feel like, to Halloran in The Shining because, you know, in The Shining, right, He he's friends with Danny because he also sees things. He feels mm-hmm. things. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case with John. At least he, he doesn't disclose that. And I don't think there would be any reason for him to hide that. I because... think
2: he says his mother sees things ah, or something. Ah, if he doesn't, geez. then maybe that was deleted. Somebody. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So
1: he's got, okay. So he's got a family member. And then, like, what happens again, like The Shining? This is pretty wild. So... He comes into the house after Diana Rigg has dosed, you know, Ellie. He gets inside. This is just like The Shining. As soon as he gets inside the door, he gets stabbed, okay? Unlike Halloran, he does not die. You know, he he does, you know, make it.
2: But he is out of commission, so he is unable to help at that point. He's kind of taken out of the the game. Um, And this isn't, like, the first Shining reference in the movie either. Um And, I mean, in this case, I'm talking definitely about the Kubrick film because it's visual references. Um, That part where Sandy is kind of trying to run out of the Rialto Mm -hmm. and keeps going down these hallways and seeing all this horrible stuff happening really made me think of, you know, The Shining when they're running around the hotel and all these spirits are just doing weird, really weird Mm -hmm. stuff in the rooms. Like the blowjob here. Right. (laughs) like, that's right. some really weird stuff. And there is kind of a blowjob situation going on in this, mm-hmm. too, in one of the rooms.
1: Well, we also have like the, the follow through with The Shining in this end sequence because, you know, in the book, right, Jack Torrance, he stays in the overlook and he blows it up, right? Mm-hmm. Of, like all the boilers go and he blows up with the hotel. And Diana Rigg does not want to leave because she realizes what she did like jack torrance and it's like this is the way you know it has to go there is no saving me you know save Mm -hmm. john and go and so as she takes off we actually have the fireman knocking in the door again like the shining where jack torrance is busting open the door and the way that he's busting open the door is like a fireman because this is weird, like Jack Nicholson was trained as like a volunteer fireman. Mm-hmm. So it's like we have like all this
2: stuff. <laughs> yeah, it is a layered upon layered. I and mean, this is the Edgar Wright thing again. Like he can just take a million things and just mash them together into one and you can still appreciate each of the things distinctly. Um, he's definitely using um, different horror movies, you know, famous ones and then some not so famous ones. As a reference, and The Shining is one that I picked up big time because we love that movie. Oh, yeah. And we watched it many times. But um, Suspiria is another one, the Mm Dario Argento film. Um, Yeah. Well, and Psycho and
1: Halloween, again, both have these heavy sexual themes. And this is so sexual. The knife, she only uses a knife to kill men. Let's remember that. So it's like she's penetrating the men that that's how Mm -hmm. you know that that goes and also when the whole house goes up in flames it's like the cigarette goes into the record collection and it goes into the record box and the record in the front is dusty springfield and in the movie she sings that song wishing and hoping right Mm -hmm. it's a very Mm -hmm. hopeful song and then we literally again see that go up in flames yeah
0: yeah that's amazing it's (laughs) all the the details symbolism is crazy yeah
1: Man, I I mean, it's just like, I don't know, I took like 10,000 notes and I was like, oh my God, (laughs) oh my God, like, there's just so much,
2: there's so much Mm. that they were able to do. Well, it's one of those things where it's almost overwhelming, like when you go to watch it and knowing that we're going to talk about it, at first I was like, oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't have picked this because there's maybe too much. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm so
0: glad you did because like it is so rich. There is so much like much to talk about and discuss um within this movie. Like I I'm like, how am I gonna talk about all of this before <laughs> like within this time hour limit that we have? But um one thing I do wanna talk about, especially when it comes to themes in this movie, um, is the and we've already talked about a little bit but the danger in glorifying the past like Ellie does with the 60s and you know for her she sees the 60s as this great time and this just like everything was just better back in the 60s and I think that it's kind of speaks to how people will say the good old days or times were simpler back then but Really, that's not the case for especially minorities um, in the past. And so we see that breakdown of Ellie's, you know, rose-colored tinted glasses throughout the movie. Um, There was an article I had read that I have never heard it termed this way, but I think it's said so well. And they called it Toxic Nostalgia. Um, where, you know, your idea of the past and what actually happened in the past are two very different things. And I think the movie does a really good job of, in the beginning, making you feel like, yeah, it was a really great time when you first see Sandy and everything. And then as her visions continue, we see, like, there's misogyny and toxic masculinity. That was part of the 60s as well. And just the the shattering of Ellie's and Sandy's dream um, becomes very apparent throughout the rest of the movie.
2: Yeah. I mean, she's a very naive kind of character. Um, You know, we see her at the beginning and she's just this girl. She's full of dreams. She's kind of lives out in the middle of nowhere. I can super relate, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and, and she's going to, you know, move to the big city and, and all her dreams are going to come true. And, you know, this is an idea that I think people have always had. Uh, I know that here we're talking about London, but I think about Hollywood, too. Like, I mean, we live in L.A. and tons of people move here thinking, you know, they're going to get off the bus and get discovered. Yeah. Um, and that's been something that's always been this narrative back to, you know, early Hollywood. Um, and you can have, you know, these dreams about it, but then you go into the reality and realize that it's not what it was like. Um, You know, honestly, the first movie right now that's coming to mind is Babylon. Oh, yeah. Um, The Damien Mm -hmm. Chazelle movie, um, because that's about old Hollywood, but it's very much treated in a modern way. Um, And there's no, you know, there's no sheen on this movie. You know, it's the silent era, but it's like, you know, all the... The dirt and griminess of that time is revealed. Um, and I think that that's kind of what's going on here as well. Um, it takes a little while because Ellie only sees what she wants to see at first. Um, and you know, her innocence is um, it's a it's something that blocks her from understanding what's going on in some ways. I do want to point out that the woman who plays her grandmother is Rita Tushingham, who was, um, who came to prominence, I guess, in this movie, A Taste of Honey, which is mm. about, it was like a kitchen sink drama um, film, which is about a young girl um, who has like a poor relationship with her mother and they are in poverty and she gets pregnant um, as like a, a young girl girl um and kind of has to deal with all of this situation and ends up like moving in with this guy who's homosexual so it's a very interesting thing because this movie was made in in maybe in the 60s um possibly the 50s i don't know exactly what year but it was this movie that was dealing at the time with some of these kind of taboo things that would have really not been um, acceptable and mm-hmm. you know those were things that were happening that we never think about um, when we do have this tox- toxic nostalgia about looking back at only the good times um, it wasn't good times for everyone and Mm-mm. it it's it wasn't good times for Sandy like Sandy had no option here um, except to do what she did um, because she was trying to be a singer, trying to be, you know, an entertainer. But that's not the entertainment that people wanted from her. Um, right. And, you know, she didn't really have alternatives. Once she got hooked up with Jack, that was it.
1: Well, there's a whole thing that was interesting. Again, it was like on these special features. And Edgar Wright told a story from Diana Riggs. So Diana Riggs said that back in the day she actually went to the cafe de paris and she when she went in you know when she saw the set she said oh wow this looks just like it but it looks bigger and she remembered you know seeing you know someone perform there and it was great but she also remembered the stairs and going down the stairs and how there were like this line of men that just ogled her when she came in and You know, obviously she hated it. So it it was like a really, really interesting thing because in her own actual life, you know, it was like we we had the the two sides to it because Diana Rigg was huge. She had the Avengers. She was in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. You know, that movie really stands out because her character in that is very modern.
2: Yeah.
1: It, it is not the the typical female lead that you see in those films. Yeah,
2: she's not a normal Bond girl at all. She, you know, she's smarter than Bond. Yeah, she in is. Life. And she's
1: better. Like, Bond breaks down and cries in that movie. Yeah. And, and she holds it together. It's, it's you know, it, it's amazing that, that she did so much. And then, of course, you know, this was her her last performance.
2: Yeah, it was very intentional Mm -hmm. for them to cast Diana Rigg and Rita Tushingham in this movie um, because each one of those actresses evokes a certain thing um, that was very important to have in this. It's thematically important, and of course they're amazing actresses, but they, you know, carry this huge kind of aura around them Rita Tushingham from Taste of Honey and Diana Rigg from you know pretty much everything she did. Yeah, um,
0: as a young woman. Yeah. yeah, I think this whole film speaks to, I mean, Edgar also really loves the '60s as well, from what I read, and you know, so he was really inspired across the board when it comes to this movie. But he too admitted that there is something very like nightmarish about romanticizing the past and you know why it can be wrong to do that and we see that throughout this movie um you know you mentioned how she, you know she experienced the ogling from different men in the cafe to Paris and we also see that when Sandy goes into there for the first time and a yeah. guy cr- approaches her and she's like he's like I'm the owner and she's like I don't think so and <laughs> just brushes him off and I think that is the one maybe like one of the first misdirections that we get because Jack seemingly stands up for Sandy in that moment. Um, he's like, she told you to like, go away. He, then the man calls her a whore. And so Jack goes and punches him. And so you're meant to think that Jack is like, oh, he is a good guy. And he's trying to really help Sandy. And then it goes all downhill from there. And you realize like later on, he's befriending that same man. Um in the at the bar at the burlesque show and so really he there was no uh redeeming him um by any means yeah it was
2: like they he had an arrangement with that guy yeah it's even orchestrated yeah yeah. i mean mm -hmm. i think that there's there's even a part where uh when matt smith is like walking onto the floor to dance he kind of like indicates over to somebody um at the bar and and it's possible that he was indicating over to that guy like oh yeah you know come over now it's showtime you know and then he's gonna pay him to like do this thing so that he can convince sandy that he's a great guy and she should you know trust him
1: well let's not forget Mm. the scumbag bartender that you know refers Mm. her to jack yeah you know it's like i feel like everyone all again i feel like all of these men are working together well that's a question to to entrap her
2: That was a question when I was watching the commentary with Wright and Wilson Cairns. They were saying, you know, does this bartender really know that Jack is a pimp? Or does he, you know, think Jack is a manager? Because if he thinks, if he knows that Jack is a pimp, he is the one who really ruins Sandy. You know, he starts the ruination because he refers her over to this pimp who he knows what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And actually, it feels like like he
2: does when you turn when he when when uh, you turn around the camera like turns around to look back at that bartender. He kind of has a knowing look on his face like, oh, yeah, Mm. like he's going to get a cut or something. It's really it's 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 scary because, you know, Mm -hmm. it just shows you that all these men are like on the same team. You know, they're all working Mm -hmm. together to corrupt young girls.
0: Yeah, and I feel like Ellie experiences that too when she first goes to London when she meets the taxi driver. And I think at first you're like, oh, he seems really nice and he's trying to help her out. But then he gets super creepy and he says, you could be a model. You've got the legs for it. And then she has to adamantly be like, let me out of the cab immediately before he finally like pulls over. Um, and But then he lingers on the curb And she has to wait till he's gone for her to leave. And, you know, it's it's still like very pervasive. I'm sure it was more pervasive in the 60s, but still pervasive in now times, too, that it is a dangerous world can be for women. And, you know, especially also when Ellie... Um, is And trying to investigate what she thinks is Sandy's death. And she gets that box full of newspaper clippings that she's scrolling through. And there's just one box for one year. Um, and there's just so many deaths that, uh, you know, occurred for women back then. It's just absolutely crazy. And murdered, too. Not just, like, died naturally. Um, so, like, I think they keep that theme going really well. Blending, like, the past and present
1: well i think they start it right at the beginning because she has this ellie has the newspaper dress mm. and the mm-hmm. microfiche is such you know a big point later on because you know i think that they said that when she's on the microfiche she actually sees on the microfiche, this man that's been murdered, and that's the man that actually mm-hmm. comes up behind her. And I was just like, "Oh, oh
2: so creepy."
1: It, well, they also oh they God. work it in. Like, okay, so when Ellie is in like the phone booth, okay, this is this this is metaphorical too. She is literally locked, kind of in this this cage that everyone can see her, and all over the windows are all of these ads for prostitutes. So it's like mm. again, it's showing that you always have, you know, women on display and they're objectified. So it's like it's it's a theme that you get, you know, early on and it and it doesn't let up. It only gets stronger. And you just I don't know, it the whole movie blows my mind how they're able to start it so innocently with, you know, a person happily dancing in their bedroom in a dress that they made. You know, it's just like, ah, you know, this is so nice. And another thing, like Carnaby Street, we see her running down Carnaby Street. We actually see in her house, she goes out the door of her bedroom and we see this thing on the door that says Carnaby. So it's like everything, every piece is mapped out. And when the house burns down at the end, I think it's also signifying that it's burning down a lot of that nostalgia. Like the records Mm -hmm. are burning. The pictures are burning that she had of Sandy. However, Mm -hmm. we do have the the dress, the design, which is Sandy. But what I think that is is kind of like how Jack took Sandy's dream and just perverted it and destroyed it. I feel like Ellie doing that dress is kind of like her giving Ellie her win, giving her... Mm-hmm. that moment in the spotlight. That, that's how I like to look
2: um, at it. You mean Sandy? Give oh, me Sandy. I screwed it up. Yeah, yeah
1: thank you. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's like Ellie giving, you know, Sandy, you know, that moment in the spotlight because, you know, the design that, that she works on is Sandy's dress.
2: I'm not mm-hmm. sure about that because um, there's such a change to the dress um, because I, I feel that when we see the fashion show at the end, yes she still has this 60s influence because she still has these kind of flowy trapeze dresses as her three um designs but the top of them has more of like almost this like warrior kind of Mm -hmm. thing going on it's like this straps and buckles and it's much stronger um so i feel and it's also feels more modern too because it's like space age looking kind of metallic silver. Um, So I feel that she kind of took like that sixties inspiration and brought it into modern by putting like this more um, warrior like strapping on it. And it's almost like she's let go of that toxic nostalgia. She's not just recreating something from the past as it Mm -hmm. was. She's taking that And applying something new to it, bringing it into the now, and also adding, like, this protective element, almost, to the design. Yeah, I
1: like that much better, what you said. I'm (laughs) with that. I'm with that.
0: I'm with that. That's what it felt like to me, too, is that the dress at the end is a blend of the past and the present um, and I think we see that, too, because, you know, originally she dyed her hair blonde to, you know, fit within with the 60s vibe. But then at the end, she it's back to um, brown, but still like the bangs and everything. So I feel like that's her blending the the past and present there as well. And then with the addition of like the metal that's on the dress to me, I read that as there's a strength that she's like showing almost for sandy that sandy went through all of this and you know had the strength to persevere and so like that's the i guess if you were gonna have a metaphor or symbolism tied to that that's what i read from it
2: yeah i think so because i do think there's you know she still has this respect for sandy um mm-hmm. and she's referencing her with the dress it's still like a big part of what she's doing but it's like she's added something to it that you know sandy couldn't have had at the time that's like this
0: you know fight kind of thing yeah
1: yeah
0: um one of the things i also wanted to talk about and we've talked about a little bit but just all the songs in this movie and we've mentioned that a lot of them are very spot on some almost like too much on the nose but i'm totally fine with it because i love it so much <laughs> um i have been listening to the soundtrack All day today and yesterday like I have absolutely loved this I don't think I've been as obsessed with a movie soundtrack since Guardians of the Galaxy volume (laughs) one and two and I feel like the songs really speak to the storytelling within the movie. Um, lots of songs about love which is ironic because this is not a love story Um, but yeah like the first song that we hear is A World Without Love by Peter and Gordon and that's the Ellie's dance number in the beginning which is also like so beautifully shot when you know she's in the door frame it's dark on all sides except for that light in the door frame and then she flips the light on and it changes so seamlessly into her hallway um, where she's dancing around. But I, I looked into some of the lyrics for this, and I think it speaks to Ellie like feeling maybe very confined to her small town because their lyrics go, Please lock me away and don't allow the day here inside where I hide with my loneliness. So it does feel like Ellie's not necessarily trapped in her home, but she wants to like go out and make something of herself in London. Um, and then I don't know if you all heard the part where the record starts to skip um, once she knocks it over, but it starts saying, I know not when they come. And so I jotted that down. I was like, I feel like that's going to be important. And I think that possibly foreshadows Sandy and the ghosts or just like her ghosts in, in general, because she doesn't know when they're going to appear. And then right after that, her her mother appears in the mirror. Um, so I feel like that was a really cool placement.
2: Yeah, oh, that is cool. No, I didn't notice that. Um, I mean, Edgar Wright clearly uh, has a bit of an obsession with all of these songs, too. And he talked about that uh, in the commentary as well, that, you know, this is the stuff his parents would listen to. So he was listening to it um, as a kid, and it's kind of stuff that imprinted on him. Um, And for me, it isn't that familiar, um, because a lot of this felt like really British 60s music. Mm -hmm. Um, that I really didn't listen to too, too much. It's not all, but like Scylla Black, for example, is huge in England, but in the U.S. I think she only had one, like, hit. So, um, it's, it's interesting to me because it isn't something I'm super familiar with. So it was all kind of new and it does fit so well with the story, both, you know, the current day and the, the 60s piece um that it was really cool to me cuz we're always looking to hear something new too. Yeah. Um and this was really interesting. Um there are a lot of songs and they are all really <laughs> appropriate. Yeah. A well, world
1: a world without love also could reference Sandy because we I, we don't really see her go outside of the the mm. building. You know, it it's like it's Again, it's just, it's so well done how they interweave their their stories. Um, yes. You know, I mean, the thing for me, though, that was super crazy is I didn't realize that a lot of songs that we've listened to in our lifetime are covers.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like, Same. always something there to remind me, yes. I guess. Yes, I
1: didn't know mm-hmm. that was a cover. <laughs> I didn't know either. Got my mind yeah. set on you, didn't know that yeah. was a cover. I did,
2: but I just found out, like right before we watched this movie for the first time like maybe two years ago yeah yeah uh but that was that was crazy
1: and who knew that the who did your love is like a heat wave like i love the martha (laughs) and the vandellas version but i like never have heard the who singing that song that was like Mm -hmm. what yeah again it's like it's familiar but it's different
2: yes and i think that's part of yeah, I think that is part of the thing that's meant to throw you off too, um, because it's recognizable, but it's not the one that you're used to hearing the most yes. at this time in history, and so it kind of feels a little bit weird, and you know, directors will often do that um, to kind of throw you off a little bit so that you're <laughs> you're a little bit uncomfortable in a weird way. I was uncomfortable this entire. It's like a movie. psychological manipulation technique. Well, one point that you were about to make, I think you should start there. Yeah, this is
1: crazy. So I, I took the time here, so I was just rolling through my notes. I'm like, what did I miss? Okay, so get this. So the movie starts with Ellie, and she's really happy, and she's dancing in her bedroom, right? So she enters the bedroom. And then it's like, you know, Sandy's story ends, right, in the present day with her burning in the bedroom with the ghosts and all the men that she killed in there.
2: Well, there's a lot of parallel structure in here that I, I noticed as well. Because like, one of the first times that Ellie has an interaction with Lindsay, Terrence mm-hmm. Stamp, she runs out of the toucan. Um, and he runs after her. And she almost gets hit by a car. Oh! And then at one. the end, Never caught it. when they have like their last confrontation, where she's like really accusing him of being jack and of killing sandy right he runs out of the bar and he does get hit by a car um so i feel and like we're, we're pretty certain he sim- died
0: right like <laughs> yeah, I, that was que- another question <laughs> <laughs> i mean i thought
2: he looked 150 dead he looked myself bad. yeah um, on the commentary they did say now is is he dead is he not dead you know and I'm, okay. i was like he's dead guys i mean if yeah. you didn't want him to be dead then you wouldn't have crushed his head that much i mean yeah
0: yeah yeah
1: And with the name jack jack the ripper guys oh yeah
2: no that's Mm.
0: didn't
1: think about that again all of these like sex crimes
2: oh that's really good i didn't think about that either it's all this
1: crazy stuff
2: but yeah like um i think that there's a lot of times here where visually um and even in action there's something happening that is you know, paralleling something that happened before or it's coming back around. But that one with the cars, the almost getting hit by the car was really wow. something
0: I thought about. Well, and here's I a good even one too. I think about that. Well, yeah. Oh, I just said I didn't even think about the car <laughs> thing. So okay. that really, like, wow, that just blew my mind.
1: <laughs> its I, I didn't catch it either. Like, you guys are good. You're catching like this little <laughs> stuff that's like, yes, okay.
2: Well, to me, they really played that up because you know it's it's like such a reversal because in the first scene he was making ellie so uncomfortable with his Mm -hmm. you know weird attention oh
1: god that creepy smile when she first sees him at the door of the pub like what does that mean like i mean terrence stamp has like a
2: general creepiness to him anyway so again (laughs) super good casting he's also really well known from like 60s film um but yeah And then, so, and then in the last scene, she's making him so uncomfortable because Mm -hmm. she's totally off. Like, you know, she's kind of like yelling at him and accusing him of this and she doesn't even know who he really is, but he is the kind of person that could have stopped some of this stuff from happening and didn't. So even though he's not Jack, he still bears some kind of guilt, I think. For, you -hmm. know, being a vice cop who didn't prevent, you know, these things from happening. I mean, we have that one scene where it's um, Sam Claffin is the young Lindsay um, talking to Sandy. And it's like he's kind of trying to, well, from my perspective, it felt like he was blaming her for her situation. um, Which, of course, is... Very common, <laughs> you know, not really yeah. recognizing the fact that, you know, she was being used by somebody else. Like that, that vice cop isn't coming after the pimp, he's coming after the prostitute. Well, what's he yeah. doing in the
1: club? Like, what's he doing in there? Like, you know, he's a cop. Okay, you're, you're undercover, you have some operation. You don't just sit there and have fucking drinks and smokes. You know well, what I mean? Like you do something.
2: He's victim blaming. Too, yeah, it's. So. Yeah, I don't
1: think that it would have been a good path. I mean, we don't know. Like again, there's a question mark. Did you know Sandy eventually get together with Lindsay? Was there a child? Mm-hmm. Was you know you know Lindsay the the father of Eloise through Eloise's actual mother? I don't know, but I don't trust. I don't trust Lindsay at all. And the Terrence Stamp acting is perfectly mirrored by that actor. It's, they do the same thing with the cigarette. Nothing that they say seems fully truthful. Like, I wouldn't put my life on the line with this person. There, there's nothing there. And I feel like, yes, when, when Eloise gets Lindsay to leave the bar right before he gets hit by the car, I feel this is a great example of people having two different conversations, Definitely. I think that Lindsay thinks that it's going to be "You're my dad." Where the hell have you been? And he's like, "I gotta go." Do you know what I mean? But she yeah. is actually saying to him, "I think you murdered Sandy." So it's it's like a real I don't know. It, it's it's such a great scene for that reason.
2: It's interesting because I never put I never thought anything about him being anybody's dad personally uh he'd be a horrible dad no i just missed i missed any kind of reference to that but i definitely think he doesn't know what's coming like he doesn't know what she thinks about him um and he but he's so weirdly defensive that Mm. you know you have to think there's something Mm -hmm. wrong here
1: well, I've done a lot of yeah. bad things, love. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, what, what are we talking about, sport? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, like yeah. I feel like he's trying to give her, like, the, these cryptic hints with the song, right? And he loves yeah. the song. Like, did you ever hear the song? Oh, I like your hair. You know, I know every blonde in the area. Like, so it's like you have all of these breadcrumbs that, that they, they throw out there for us with this character.
0: Yeah. And I feel like the song, like in the beginning, I don't know if he was just trying to be cute about it and be like, It's Eloise and it's your song, but you know, then there's that part where he starts to sing very creepily. Um and he goes, My Eloise, I'd love I'd love to please her, I'd love to care, but she's not there and it's really haunting. Um Yeah. And uh not not quite sure what his move was with that regard, but yeah like definitely I think they that you had mentioned georgia they're they're having two separate conversations, and you know he's trying to explain that you know well, he does victim blame Sandy because he says that Sandy ended up exactly where she wanted to be, which is not the case at all i'm I mm-hmm. would say um but then when she finally does accuse him of killing sandy, he says. I think you'll find Alex killed Sandy uh, to her. And Alex is Sandy's real name, Alexandria, which then we find on the letters later um, in Ms. Collins' room. Um, But yeah, like the one, one question I wanted to ask before we talk about that is, did you guys get a sense that he maybe knew Ms. Collins was Sandy or like he had an inkling that she was her because he he had also said he looked up her old bones and couldn't find her and some people don't want to be found. But then he also knew where he had implied that he knew where Ellie lived. And so it just felt like he was onto something, but I don't know if he knew for sure. I think
2: he might have had some sort of an idea. It was kind of like, you know, you see like cop movies a lot of times where like, or even real life, true crime kind of stuff where uh, a cop has a certain case that was never solved like stuck in his head and for this guy to have been a vice cop and so he was working with all these prostitutes he knew who all the prostitutes were he must have also then known who all the johns were and he knows that all of these johns are disappearing so even though he wasn't Mm. a murderer cop he would have been tangentially related to any murder investigation or missing person investigation related to all these men and been able to say, you know, well, you know, Sandy, this blonde prostitute, has had, you know, relationships with all of these guys, so you want to look into her. And, you know, somehow Mrs. Collins manages to like, disappear Mm -hmm. in plain sight right there, you know, um, and so it feels like he might even have known that it was her, but he couldn't prove it, or he couldn't ever, you know, maybe he didn't want to prove it because he didn't really care, Mm -hmm. like, I'm not sure, like, I don't know what this guy's angle is, but I do think it seems like it's been something that has obsessed him, um. To the point where he's still hanging around thinking about it.
0: Yeah.
2: I mean, I don't know
1: how he wouldn't know where she was, though, because it's the same place. It's just, it's
2: the same place. It's the house that she lives in. I mean, right. Yeah. She was not subtle.
0: I mean, and that's the thing is like, she can't leave the house because all the dead bodies are hidden there. And if she were to leave, that would be giving herself up, essentially. Like, and she. I think tells it to Ellie in the beginning that I could never sell it because I have too many memories here, but Ooh. it's really not the case. It's because there are a lot of dead bodies hidden everywhere. She also mentions like, um, you have to, you'll, you'll have to keep the plugs in. I don't know if that's for like the drains, but cause the smell will rise up in the summer and it's because oh. there are rotting corpses in there. Um, oh. yeah, there's just so many, like, I mean, I'm sure they'd be dead like bones at this point, but um, There's just so many like teases to Miss Collins being Sandy that you don't pick up on until I did not know until she was sitting in the room with her drinking the tea. And I was like, they're really lingering on this scene in particular with her saying goodbye to Miss Collins. So I was like, oh, and then it hit me that right before she said it that I was like, that's Sandy. But I had no idea <laughs> until that point in time. I didn't either.
2: And when I watch it again, I'm like, God, am I just an idiot? Like, because (laughs) there's so many things, but it's just, it's, this is what a good mystery is like, that right before they reveal it, you should be able to figure it out for yourself. And that's exactly what happened to me, too. Like, I overlooked so many things. I overlooked the mail, I think, um, that had Alexander Mm. Collins written on it. I mean, I didn't see it until later, you know, a second viewing. But, yeah, right when she gives her the tea, I'm like, boy, this lady's starting to act kind of weird. And then I'm like, oh, my God, (laughs) it's her, you know. Yeah. And so it's like you figured it out. You figured it out, like, literally seconds before they were going to tell you. Um, But that's perfect. That's exactly what should happen in a mystery.
1: Well, I also think the house, again, is is like a, a metaphor. So, all of these dead bodies are in this room, in the walls, you know, in the floor. And it's, like, compartmentalizing, you know? It's, like, mm. it, it's here. And I, I feel like we bring that even further because they talk about, you know, we have these faceless men. And people will disassociate, right? And they won't, mm. you know, you won't want to remember this. And yep. it, you have them, you know, it was so creepy the way that they did it. Because they would have the men, these, you know, ghost men, do the same action, like, two or three times. And then they put it all together. So it's just like this whirring blob, but you can tell. And, like, every action that they had, they wanted to be terrifying. Like, the guy taking his tie off, I'm like, is he going to strangle her? You know, like, what's going to happen? I don't feel comfortable. You know, the first guy that she sees in the bedroom for me, is by far the absolute worst. That was the biggest scare for me with the men. Because it yeah. was just like, what? You know, and he was just right there.
2: He was yeah. just right there. It was a very, like, jumpy kind of a scare, too. The mm-hmm. others are just more um, menacing, but it's mm-hmm. menacing in a different kind of way. Like, it's it's not a jump scare, but it's just terrifying. The tag guy really really was telegraphing gross stuff to me
1: it's like uh, it's like hitchcock it's like frenzy right yeah wasn't that the necktie killer was his name or something again we got sex crimes yeah it's yeah again (laughs) edgar
2: wright is drawing on like a rich history of gross dudes in film right (laughs) oh my god yeah
0: the other great misdirect that i think they did was when Ellie first thinks that she sees Jack stabbing Sandy in the bed. Mm. When I watched it the second time, you never see Sandy really get stabbed. You just see blood spewing everywhere. You see a frustrated look on Jack. And that was, all right, that was another thing because she cuts him, she cuts Jack on the face. And when I saw Lindsay, I kept looking to see if I could see a scar and I never did. And I was like, that seems weird, but it does seem like it's Jack. And then obviously it wasn't him. Um, But when you see that in the bedroom um, in, in the scene, Sandy's laying in bed and she looks like she's like taking her last breath. But I think she's just like um, exhaling just out of the stress of everything that had happened. And you see in the corner that Jack is transparent and that, he is starting yeah. to like float away so that is him becoming a ghost and I didn't catch it until the second watch and then obviously once you realize what actually happened that Sandy did stab Jack it all makes sense um, at the very end
2: wow Wow. yeah I didn't notice that either mm-hmm. that's a really good rewatch of scene though because they you know I did rewatch it as well to see if you know we see her getting stabbed and you don't but it's mm-hmm. from a difference from the opposite angle. So like it, his uh, Jack's body is kind of covering the action from the first vantage point and then from the other way you can see what's actually happening.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's so well done. I mean, they just do such a great job of leading you all sorts of different ways until they like have you right where they want you at the very end just much much like Miss Collins has Ellie where she wants her at the very end Um, which I do want to talk about Miss Collins Sandy and how complex of a character she is because you know obviously all of these terrible things happen to her and she is justified and I feel like what she did but then she also is attempting to murder ellie at the very end and you know to cover her tracks to not be found out she stabs john like we said there's just like so many complexities to this character that make you feel so many different ways and i think i love that the most about this movie
2: yeah that's probably my number one thing too like in, and especially when you just take into account Diana Riggs' performance and also that, you know, she... Just the look of her, you know, she looks like this old grandmother, you know, who you Mm -hmm. automatically are going to assume is, like, a sweet old lady. And, you know, even though she's, you know, a little bit sharp, even the first time she meets Ellie, um, you just are like, okay, well, she's just a strict kind of older lady. But she is a person who... I do think that she had justification for all of the people that she killed, at least in her mind, Um, psychologically. She had been damaged, destroyed. She had PTSD. She has all these issues um, from what happened to her. And Jack, you know, yeah, stabbed that guy. Nobody None of us are going to miss them, you know? No, nobody's going to miss them at all. That's totally justifiable to me. Would the law have thought so? Probably not. Um, But, you know, he really victimized her and he did kill her. You know, he killed the person that she was um, and he killed Mm -hmm. her dreams. He killed every optimistic and bright thing in her and just took away her life um, from her. So I totally understand why she did what she did. Um, but it kind of shows you that, like, corruption corrupts absolutely because, you know, her, um, even though we, we can kind of find her behavior justified in killing these men, the things that she has to do to not be caught are, are the things that are a problem. So, like, yes, you know, hiding all the bodies, um... You know, and and she says she's had other boarders, too.
1: Yeah, what's that? Like, has she killed other people? We didn't see any bodies of anyone except the men, you know, that she had been with. So I had that question, too. And, like, let's take it a step further. Does Miss Collins really exist? Or is this just something that Ellie sees in the house? Now, I know that John comes to the house and sees her. We have the police person come and see her. But... The fact that she never leaves the house,
2: I don't know. Well, she I think she can't. I think there's an argument that you probably could make there, and I'm sure somebody on Reddit has their stuff. <laughs> but um, I think that the argument here is that she is hiding. Um, like I said, she's hiding kind of in plain sight. She's right in the same area that mm-hmm. she always was in. She's in the same building that she was in when all these things were happening, but she's keeping, like, a super low profile because she doesn't want to be caught. And, mm. you know, when when Ellie goes and tells, you know, this story to the police, and the police come to start asking questions, she's threatened. You know, her her complacency is threatened, and this thing that she's gotten away with for years and years is bubbling up to the surface. So... You know, in order to keep that secret, or to continue to keep that secret, she has to, um, you know, get rid of Ellie, which is what she does attempt to do, but she can't go through with it. Um, and yeah. she's, you know, upstairs, and she sees, like, all the ghosts and everything, and she realizes that she can't fight this anymore. Um, and it's, it's tragic to me, because this is the end of a ruined life Um, because her life was ruined by what happened to her with all these, with Jack and with all these men and, and with being forced into prostitution and then getting revenge on that person and trying to like free herself from prostitution. She had to commit murder multiple times, (laughs) serial murder to do that. And, There was no way out. Like, she wasn't in jail, but she certainly wasn't free. You know, she's been kind Mm -hmm. of in a prison of her own making for, what, 35, 40, more than 40 years by this time. So, it's, you know, it's a cage that she's in anyway. And now that she's, like, so old, she's never going to escape it by the time she goes upstairs and she sees, you know all these men. She knows she can't get away from it. And she tries to kill herself with a knife. She, like, tries to cut her own throat. And Ellie stops her. But then she just burns up in the fire. Anyway, I kind of wish she had just let her cut her throat. (laughs) (laughs) Because burning to death seems pretty awful. A
1: world without Uh, love. Again. It's like, again, it goes back, right? Lock me away. I'll hide with my loneliness, right?
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. again the music I, guys
0: yeah yeah and i think that speaks to ellie too because obviously ellie didn't really need to save her after the fact that miss collins was trying to poison her with the tea um but she does she you know the ghosts like you we had mentioned before they reach out and they're like help us help us and ellie's they say to kill um killer and ellie says no because even in that moment she knows that they deserve what they got and you know she is trying to save miss collins one last time but miss collins knows that she can't be saved and the other thing too i noticed is in, in the beginning when miss collins is first showing ellie the bed sit miss collins just does not enter the bedroom and enter that room at all she oh. stays within the door frame but then at the end when she finally steps over the threshold that's when she sees the ghosts and i don't know if you notice like all the ghosts like have their faces returned to them and they look at her and it's just so I think it's just like beautifully done um I think it's just a really great way to tell the story um and capture like the moment that is happening
2: I love that too it was really brilliant it was you know everything kind of comes to a head in a very real way at that point when she crosses the threshold into that room and I think you know She's confronted with what she had to do. I don't think that she has regrets about that. But I do think that she realizes that there's no way out at that point. Because there isn't. I mean, even if she escapes the house and the house burns down, you know, when they come to investigate this fire, they're going to find, like, a whole lot more dead people there than they expected. You know? yeah, And they're going to be identified. And, you know, there's just, uh, there's no way that this isn't going to come to light. Um And she just kind of has to give up and accept that there's no way to redeem the life of that young Sandy who came to London looking for, like, fame and fortune.
1: We also have a lot of, like, kind of, I don't know how I want to put it like devil imagery okay that that's like a big thing Mm -hmm. that we've got like they go to the club they go to inferno right and they're actually dressed up like they are you know ghosts they're dead yeah and one of the things that i didn't ever think about until this last time is the very evil joe costa did dose her drink yes she definitely did I like it because I always like, oh, okay. Like, and like, until this time, I'm like, wait, no. I'm like, because she started freaking out. She started seeing the people. Everything, you know, went to hell, literally. Joe Costa has on these like upside down crosses. Again, like we see that like an exorcist or something. It, it's, it, and again, it's like it wraps back around to actually a good moment in the film. And I'll tell you how. When Ellie is still, like, enamored with this 60s, you know, dream. The second time that she goes back to the 60s, it concludes with Sandy and Jack having sex in the bed. And so the next day, that's when she, like, gets the clothes and the makeover and the whole nine yards. And that's when we hear, you know, my love is like a heat wave, right? And so the lyrics of that are, whenever I'm with him, something inside Starts to burning, and I'm filled with desire. Could it be a devil in me, or is this the way love's supposed mm-hmm. to be? It's like a heat wave burning in my heart. I can't keep from crying. It's tearing me apart. A- again, it's like yeah. they have, it's all of it.
2: Like love that destroys. Yes. That's what that's about. Mm-hmm. And, and
1: again, Jack destroys. John brings everything. He brings growth, mm-hmm. love. It's... Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's well, up and down. Everything.
2: Yeah, the Jocasta yeah. thing. Like, we haven't really talked about Jocasta enough, probably, because, uh, Jocasta. What a jerk. Um, but oh, yes. I have words for Jocasta. <laughs> 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 I think we all do. Um, but yeah, I think she and the other kind of four mean girls in her crew, you know, they're not really that mean, but just their association makes them mean. I think they're supposed to be dressed like the movie The Craft, maybe. Oh. So they're supposed to be, like, witches. Mm. Oh, so you have ghosts, witches. You have the evil nun from *The Nun*. Okay. Um, I think okay. there's a well, jigsaw there. So there's a jigsaw. I think uh, I think that I, I think Edgar Wright mentioned that there was. I'd like it
1: if he was the one friendly guy aside from John. <laughs> you need more Derv. Yeah. That's funny. yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, and and Joe Casta is so awful, but in such a real way that for me she's like one of the worst people in this movie even though mm, even though her definitely. her uh, evil is all psychological and not physical for the most mm. part except for this dosing the drinks um yeah she's a truly horrendous antagonist
0: yeah. yeah and you absolutely understand well and also it could be her fault because she's the one who pushes ellie to have to move out oh. of the you know her dorm originally and go to the bed sit. so it's just Jacosta's it fault we'll just <laughs> blame <laughs> wow. her
2: absolutely um, she deserves to be blamed <laughs> yeah she's yeah. terrible i
0: wanted to also mention like the references to hell um it's funny you mentioned that because the song that they dance to at the party is called happy house Um, and I was listening to it, and the irony is that it's called Happy House, but it is not a happy song at all. Um, It's very much like you feel trapped, but there is a lyric that goes to forget. um, Sorry, this is the happy house. We're happy here in the happy house to forget ourselves and pretend all's well. There is no hell. Um, So again, like pulling into the hell of it all. Um, Yeah, there's just so many great Moments like and that. A, that once you look it up, it's so good. And the dose Su- drinks
1: have eyeballs, yes. so it's like she can see.
0: <laughs> well, that's yeah. a Susie and the Banshees oh song, and
2: Susie and the Banshees like she had like that white face, black eyes, kind of makeup all the time. Mm. Like oh, really? what? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like what? Uh, uh, Ellie has in the scene. Yeah, um, I thought Susie and the Banshees so was a
0: very smart choice for music there mm-hmm
2: it's I, I Two don't know I...
0: other songs I want to like bring up really quick just because I love them so much one is downtown by yeah. oh, that's yes. one of my favorite we haven't talked about that um so when I don't know if you either of you ever watched the tv show lost um but that's where I first heard this song and I have loved it ever since and I really loved the rendition that they did in this movie, where Anya Taylor Joy does sing the song a cappella. It's just a re- like really beautiful way um, that she does it. But it does speak to again having you know symbolism. It speaks to Ellie and Sandy feeling the pressure of reaching their dreams and you know going to the hustle and bustle of London. Everything will be better downtown. Things will be great when you're downtown. You know. Um, I just think it was like a perfect song to to pick and I'm glad that's the one that she sang.
2: I agree because it's it is the perfect song for her and Angela Joy does an amazing job singing what a voice. it. Yeah. Really good and it's also like soft. Like she's she has a good voice and she sings it well, but it's also like sung in this almost like innocent kind of way, which I don't necessarily think we would associate Sandy with Innocence the way that we would associate Ellie with Innocence. But at this point in time, Sandy is pretty innocent. You know, she doesn't she thinks she's just going here for an audition and this is like, you know, mm-hmm. she's going to be able to be on stage singing. She doesn't realize this is just to be in like this burlesque review. Um, and it's very sad because she sees this song and doing this audition is like this huge achievement. You know, and she walks out of there like so excited. Um, and edgar wright made a point to talk about when they leave the rialto this first time that this becomes um a very unsanitized moment of nostalgia because sandy says something like oh i can't even fucking believe this like she cusses and we never see that you know in the 60s film you know and that kind of takes you out of the idea of this being this fantasy into more of a reality because it's just something that never would have happened in this movie ideal um but it it would happen in like real life so i thought that was really interesting
1: that's yeah that's good because it's like i remembered her saying that and i was just like okay like, I, I didn't think much about it because I swear all the time. Yeah, you know, both but, Right? It's just <laughs> what we do. But, you know, when you, when you point it out, it's like, wow. Again, I, I just like that they give us all of these clues. I mean, again, with the music, always something there to remind me in the classroom.
0: Oh, that was Whoa. so good.
1: Yes. Because it's just like out of nowhere. And it's just like now it has invaded her day life. You know, it, it was like, oh, my God, like, now you were not safe at any time. Because at first, it was like at night. And night, it was like the first two dreams were these wonderful things. Then the third one went downhill. And then the fourth one is so aggressive because the record player starts. Jack busts open the door, grabs her, and pulls her out, mm-hmm. tells her to dance. And it's just like, yeah. it, oof, you feel like this change. And it's it's smooth,
2: Well, and it also does start to blur the line between Sandy and Eloise more because uh, in the first two kind of dreams, yes, they did interchange, but Ellie still had her pajamas on, you know? Ah, yep. But Mm -hmm. uh, when we go into, I believe it's the third one, there are intercuts where sometimes it's Sandy and sometimes it's Ellie. They have the same Mm -hmm. hair at this point. They're both blonde and Sandy. I mean, Ellie actually has on Sandy's dress, like that kind of negligee type thing that she's wearing, not her own clothes. Mm -hmm. So it's like, she's starting to identify with Sandy on a, on a more deep level to the point where she is playing uh, her in it. And I think that the way they did this is really exciting and interesting because In this dream world, um, at the beginning, sometimes Ellie is an observer. Sometimes she's a participant. It really replicates that feeling that you can sometimes have in a dream where sometimes Mm -hmm. you are watching the action that's happening in the dream. And then sometimes you're in the action as one of the people, um, either as yourself or as someone else. And I thought they did a fantastic job replicating that feeling.
0: Yeah. It's almost like they're mirror images of themselves, not to like be too on the nose with it, but the references to all the mirrors, I think, is done so well and most think we're practical like with Ellie and Sandy together. and yeah, I think it really does symbolize a lot of how Ellie wants to be Sandy, especially in the beginning. Um, and then those like distinguished like separations of lines, start to blend together because ellie starts to not only become sandy in her dreams but then ellie is experiencing the dreams in real life while she's trying to live her day to day um so yeah it it's very very well done
2: yeah the the, a lot of the mirror stuff was practical um like the first one there where you know they do the finger tap um, Oliver and James Phelps who played Fred and George Weasley in the Harry Potter movies are the doorman. Oh my god. The they're twins I and they that. look exactly alike. So one of them is on it's not a mirror, one of them is on one side of just this room and the other is on the other. And they're both playing the doorman <laughs> with with each girl. So it's yeah. it's just practically done, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. It's awesome. <sighs> Well, is there anything else you guys would like to talk about before we get into some of our segments?
1: Bum, bu, bu, bum. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think, yeah. I think we really we, we covered really... a lot of ground there. We tore that yeah, up. There's so much we to did. talk we about. We did it, guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> know. Very proud. We're I'm very sure proud like, right after we get off,
2: I'm going to be like,
0: wait, I remember that. I know. It's just one of those movies. Uh, it is. Well... First segment that we have is DeFlick. So this these are deflick moments, which I feel like there will be a lot and some we've probably already discussed. Um, my first deflick was I don't know if you guys remember this when Ellie first goes into the Toucan pub, um, and she's in the basement. She sees somebody in the mirror and it's a man in the background. And I didn't know who deflick that was. I wanted to say maybe a young Lindsay. Um but I wasn't sure cause it happens so quickly and it's, it's kind of far away, but she does see like a man in the back and then she turns and he's not there. Um, so I don't know if you all had any theories on that.
2: Yeah, that's a good question because I noticed that too. And I probably, I didn't actually think it was young Lindsay, but it could have been, but it could have just been one of these many, you know, creeps, creepy men following, you know, creepy ghost men following her around. Um, yeah, because she's attached to these ghosts.
1: I never caught it, guys. I I blew it. I never, <laughs> never saw it. Never saw it.
2: Yeah, it's the first well, time. Well, now she's is in there. the
0: reason to go back and watch it again. <laughs> yeah, number four,
1: here we come. Yeah, and
2: it's the first time she's. Yeah. you know, it's a it's a scary night because it's the first night at college. You know, mm-hmm. and she's like already realizing that Joe Casta is the worst, and uh, <laughs> yeah, so. She sees that kind of in the mirror. And the mirror is where she sees ghosts a lot. Anyway, like that's where she sees her mother.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, very Harry Potter.
2: <laughs> that's. Ah, uh, yes. Mirror. Yeah. Well,
1: all right. So here's one I've got. Okay. So Ellie has these scissors and she goes to stab Jocasta. And, you know, John stops her. And then she, you know, Jocasta's like, I'm going to security. What happens there? Like, how does that, yeah. how does that resolve? Like, I don't feel that that would be the ending of that story. This would be like video cameras, witnesses, court. Yeah. You know, like yes. jail time. Attempted like, you know, Exactly. You know, but then I'm like, now with this, I, you dosed my drink info. Is it because mm. I can prove you dosed me? Mm. We're just going to call mm. this off. Otherwise, I'm going to pursue this as well.
2: Yeah, that's a good. How the flick did she get out of that? Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. I know how
1: deflected exactly. she got I out, just out of want that to yeah. yeah, no. <laughs> good
2: um, maybe
0: they just felt bad for her because she did almost burn up to death in a house, and they were like, "Hey, maybe we'll give her a pass on." Yeah, this. that's maybe what I'm
2: thinking too. And you know, she did go to the police when she was dosed on the drink, so you know, mm. maybe they were able to be like, "Well, do you really want to pursue this?"
0: casta,
1: and she's like "Uh, i guess Mm -hmm. not whatever yeah because she
0: she uh, does like a little wave to her at the passion show so i don't they must have made amends yeah
1: what if she sent the ghosts after her just to straighten her ass out that would have been a
2: good idea she should have done that
1: oh my god can you imagine sandy visiting her right she'd take care of it
2: well i think my biggest the flick moment is (laughs) that The question we kind of already asked about how does Sandy kind of get away with this? Because, you know, at some point in time, she... I mean, I'm assuming she didn't own that house from the beginning. So somehow she managed to get this house that she was living in. Maybe she killed the person who owned it. I don't know. And just took it. I have no idea. But how did she, like, get away with this? Because... I think that we could easily say that all of these guys that went missing were clearly associated with her, and somebody had to know that. Um, Did Lindsay just look the other way this whole time? Like, is that maybe what we're to assume? That he knew this was happening? But I can't say that I absolutely feel that, because... I do feel like, you know, the one time we saw young Lindsay, he was, was kind of victim-blaming her. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how did this happen? Like, how did she manage to get away with us? How did this stop? You know, I don't feel like I got enough of an explanation of that and, you know, I mean, not necessarily that I would have wanted them to kind of go down a really long road of explaining this to me, because the movie isn't Mm -hmm. Yes, you know, in some ways, Sandy is kind of the main character of this movie, although Eloise is our narrative character. Um, The movie has kind of been about Sandy the whole time at the end, but I don't really understand how this worked, and maybe I'm just supposed to be like, don't worry about it. (laughs) Probably I am, but it's a question that I have.
0: Honestly, yeah. I mean, I I think like... Back then, it seems a lot of serial serial killers just got away with a lot more. Um, so maybe, you know, you can justify it that way. But they really didn't explore it very well. Yeah, yeah. It's just
2: like there's this... I mean, at some point, she stopped being a prostitute and killing guys. So how did mm-hmm. that happen? Like, you know, when did that happen? Why did that happen? And... I'd, yeah, I'd fully, see, a I fully a
0: sequel is in the works. For <laughs> a prequel. We want our yeah. answers. It's like a Pearl, a prequel, and yeah. it's
2: like at X and Pearl. Maybe kind of thing where we yeah. see like this different character throughout history. But um, yeah, I think that there is a is an open question mark there about that. And you know, honestly, I'd be kind of interested to know um, how all that happened. But maybe a yeah, different movie.
1: Well, it's like, how yeah. did she pay for that building? I, I, I don't know. Well, again, yeah, maybe that's she a
0: killed. Good question. Maybe right? she
1: killed the owner and took
2: it. I don't know. Well, the,
1: well, okay. So let's say that just for the hell of it, let's say that, that she killed the owner. So this is the other thought I had. So we had the guys upstairs, right? Did did she like kill other people and, and leave them, you know, in her living space? Are there other people? You know, in the walls.
2: Maybe she took all the victims' money so that she had enough money Mm. to do all this. Because she killed a lot of dudes.
1: What do we want to say, 30? What do you think, 30 dudes that we saw? Maybe less, maybe 20. Maybe
2: not as many. I don't know. I don't know. But,
1: but like, okay, I'm just,
2: like, I'm spitballing here. I mean, I don't think they all had, like, you know, 5,000 bucks in their pocket. Exactly. What's her income now? What's she doing? I mean i guess now she's probably on whatever england has as far as social security or something but
0: and she's getting rent from everybody who's renting from upstairs
1: right
2: yeah but i don't know it's an interesting question yeah well then she
1: says everybody's (laughs) leaving in the night they're stiffing her you know it's like i don't know i just i kind of want to know what she's doing so it's like i can see the end of murdering these men because I'm, I'm guessing she stopped being a prostitute there were these particular men that really had to go down and so she took them out she finished her list done okay so then what are you doing like yeah, i don't, I I don't I... that's what i want to know
2: i think it's a very good question
1: because the family mm-hmm. doesn't seem like they're really a part of of her story again, just like with Ellie, she has her grandmother and she calls her on the telephone and they're very close, but there's nothing she can really do
2: for her. I mean, but she also loves her grandmother like constantly. So, oh, yeah.
0: you know, but her grandmother can tell something's wrong. That's another, deflick I had was like, why didn't grand go visit Ellie sooner? As soon as she could tell something was wrong. And I know like she's her grandmother and like transportation may not be as easy for her to get over there. Um, but there she could definitely tell something was wrong,
2: yeah, and also her grandmother seems like very um, you know overly concerned too because I mm-hmm. mean the the mother Ellie's mother, grand's daughter, killed herself, so she seems very concerned yeah. you know, yeah. maybe even overly concerned about you know Ellie's well-being and that she doesn't self harm or something when she moves. Um mm-hmm. so I do think she would have been more alarmed and found a way to go down there and check on her.
1: Alright, I got two mm-hmm. wide deflects guys. So here's number one. Why deflected mm-hmm. Gran not come down and have a showdown with Diana Rigg? That's one.
0: Oh. Right?
1: That would have been excellent. That oh. would have been so good. Okay, so that's one. Why deflect two? This one I think okay John's our guy. We love him. But you take me to a bridge on our date, and my mom killed herself on a bridge. I don't really feel that this date's going to keep rolling. <laughs>
2: Did she kill herself on a I bridge? I thought she
1: jumped off a bridge. I don't remember. All right, then I blew it, guys. Oh, I don't remember that. I thought I she, she jumped off herself. a bridge. Okay, yeah. I thought she jumped off a bridge. Maybe <laughs> may I created that
2: and I, didn't, I don't know. I don't, all, right, all right. I, adjust, I take yeah. it back.
1: I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. I don't
2: know. Damn it, John. Yeah. <laughs> Why did Flick he...
1: John make up this shit? All right, that's what we need to know. <laughs> well, yeah. we don't
2: know if he knows that either. I mean, if she killed herself, we don't know how she yeah. killed herself. Or, right. I mean, maybe. Right. I don't
1: know. I don't know, man. It was. Um, yeah. Why does Flick is John such first... a
2: good guy? That's a good question. Uh, uh, look, too. <laughs> I don't know because I yeah. feel like
1: he is. You know, I think if they took the sum total of men on, on planet Earth, you <laughs> know, and they gave it to John, that's how John is that good. Because again, as as we explore in this, none of the other men are good. Yeah. None of them. No. And you yeah. just there's nothing. They're worthless.
0: Yeah. Um. To your first flick between Gran and Ms. Collins, I feel like Gran would not survive. <laughs> uh, but you know, maybe Gran has got some spunk in her, and she'd prove me
2: wrong. <laughs> I don't know. She's so frail. I don't. She seems like so yeah. real and sweet, and you know yeah i think she would have been in the wall what if like gran
1: was juicing like we didn't see it like she, gran started juicing maybe Grant. yeah and then like, she's she was ready rip, she's Ripped, ripped. Yeah. ripped <laughs> granny you know she could have done it then
2: i don't know i feel like gran would have been in the wall immediately <laughs> yeah just,
0: sorry i would feel like, like we would
2: have we would have come back to the apartment and Ellie would have been like, "Why are you putting plaster on the wall?" And she's like, "Oh, we just have rats. Don't worry about it." And that would be mm. grand in there.
1: Uh, well, like, uh, hey, have you seen my grandmother? She was supposed to come. Oh, she stopped by and had some tea, and uh, yeah, that would she have said been she had quite to go. a twist, right?
2: <laughs> oh, that would have been very horrible. Been a bit of nightmare. Well, and also <laughs> they the... just didn't even want to go there. That would have been too bad.
1: Now, is the tea poison, or is the tea just a sedative? That's the next thing, because she gives her the drink, yeah. and then she's like, you know, sleep. She's like, I'm not going to stab you like the other ones. So I'm like, okay, is this like something that's going to put you out and put you out so hard you're going to stop breathing? Or is this something that's just going to knock you out, and I'm going to do something else? Because she said, like, you know, the cops already think you're going to kill yourself anyway.
2: Mm. Oh, like mm. stage it. Ooh. Yeah. yeah that's crazy. It, it's, I feel no. like she's she's yeah. going to go
1: the distance because she wants to stay out of jail.
0: Interesting. Yeah. She's, yeah. She's, I do think yeah. like Ellie pukes it up at one point when she's crawling up the stairs, so we never really know. I feel like it was if it was poison, she'd be dead. Right. But if it's sed- like sedative, then there's more of a chance that for why like she ended up living at the very end. Yeah, I think
2: she could have poisoned her, or you know. She could have given her a ton of sleeping pills or something like that that really is a sedative, but would kill her mm-hmm. because it's so yeah. depressing on like the it depresses breathing and things like that. And she could have just been like, "Oh, she's just been really upset and depressed, so I guess she just killed herself."
1: She took these pills. I found them. Oh yeah, no! Yeah, exactly.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, here's a weird yeah. one.
1: When okay, so when John and Ellie come into the apartment when they're going to go upstairs. Ellie, you know, falls on the stairs, and again, when we have, you know, Sandy coming to kill her with the knife, she falls on the stairs, and mm-hmm. it looks like about the same spot. That's
2: a parallel structure again. Yeah. Maybe there's just a loose, like, uh, carpet or something on that. <laughs> Grand- <laughs> yeah,
1: I feel like Sandy needs to do some repairs, you know, yeah. get it up to code, yeah. you know? I think there's some code people, She's you know, not buried worried in that.
2: about it. She's fine.
1: Yeah, it's good. No. Yeah. Smells great. Oh, Anytime man. the code
2: people come around the tea comes out. Which yeah. like some tea. Yeah. Just she's yeah. got some room left in those walls, don't worry about <laughs> it.
0: Oh my god.
1: Part of me thought they could be in the bed, honestly, because you know how they come out of the bed? Now they very well could mm. be in the floorboards underneath.
2: I think that's what we're supposed to think. Because they're always they're busting up yeah. through the wall, through the and, yeah. and it's that really interesting visual effect of looking like the wall is like breaking mirror Yeah, even though it's a wall. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. yeah. It was really cool. Uh Okay, I think that brings us over to our next segment which is Dick of the Flick and I feel like mm. this will be a very short segment because <laughs> we can all pretty much agree the Dick of the Flick is Jack and all the other men, right?
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. I don't know. I think there's a case
2: for Jocasta being... Me- <laughs> And she gets a
0: small <laughs> nomination, I
2: I agree with that. I mean, it's funny because it's like, well, is like, you know, ruining somebody's life, turning them into a prostitute, and uh, yeah, causing them to be sexually assaulted every single night. Worse than being Joe Casta. Mm. <laughs> Joe Casta is just such. A, I think it's just because she's such a bully, and I've known people yeah. like this. Same. You same, know, I haven't yeah. known anyone that you know turned me into a prostitute and ruined my life but i have known a lot of jocastas so i guess it's my personal Mm -hmm. feeling that makes her so gross and awful but yeah i think jack really he takes this one home yeah yeah unanimous absolutely (laughs) the worst yeah uh yep no question there and matt smith is (sighs) so
0: slimy and gross
2: in this role he's perfect
0: really good job with those roles yeah definitely yeah all right well i think that brings us to our last segment which is how many flicks do we give Mm -hmm. um first i'll share how this movie was critically received so on imdb it has a seven out of ten Woof. and then a Rotten Tomatoes it is 76% from critics and okay. a 90% from audiences so critics may not have liked it as much as audiences did um, do either of you want to go first for your ratings um,
2: remind me of your scale
0: it's uh set? up to 5 5
2: okay. is the best and you can do decimal points so I think critics are sleeping on this one I think this is a very good movie Personally, I think I would give this, I think I would give it a 4.5 myself, because I think it's so well put together. The casting is on point. Like, everyone in this is Mm -hmm. perfect for the role. Thomas and Mackenzie is excellent. Of course, Anya Taylor-Joy, we think, is amazing all the time. Always, yeah. yeah. Um, Diana Rigg yes come on how awesome and this is her last performance ever so Mm -hmm. i mean it's just like whoa edgar wright so well thought out like he does such a good job layering the story and keeping this order and it just brings up so many cool questions and like just look at how cool our discussion was about this like that just shows you what a good movie it was so for me, I think I would give it the 4.5. The 0. 0.5 off is for maybe leaving a few unanswered questions that I kind of wish I had, you know, known more about. But overall, the style of this movie, the the story, the acting, all comes together for me. So that I would call it, yeah, a 4.5. At least a 90 Out of a hundred. Yes. At least. Okay. What do you think?
1: I am just going to give it all up. This is a five to me because I feel like any movie, there's going to be some holes. There's going to be some unanswered questions. Anytime you watch something, even if it's your favorite thing, there's going to be something where you're like, what was that? But we just move past it. This, again, I watched it three times. I would be happy to watch it again now. I want to see this dude in the mirror at the pub. I want to figure out some more of the clues because this movie, again, is so well put together. I feel that there's more information in there that if we we dug deeper, we look closer, we would get more. The soundtrack is a Mm. touchdown. Yeah. And I don't give a shit about football, but it is a touchdown. You know, I feel that. Because it's just, it's so good. Again, the lyrics match up. It's great because it's familiar yet different. You know, there's a real, like, understanding of the location. The cinematographer, Chung Hoon Chung, incredible. You know, he did The Handmaiden. You know, he's like, it's like everybody here is just just so, so strong. You know, you have Christy Wilson Cairns incredible listening to the commentary with her and edgar wright these two knew exactly the movie that they wanted to make this is a movie that's all about the objectification and and destruction of women and you know it's very sexual but i think it's awesome that they never show any female nudity there's Mm -hmm. nothing there's none of that there's no like gratuitous scene Anything we see is disgusting, you know, and nothing that anyone could possibly think is, is titillating. I feel happy yeah. at the end of this. And I, I'm like, this is such a, a hard journey. But I, again, I feel like we have Ellie and Sandy, our friends. It's almost like a second mom, you know, someone else looking out for mm. her. It's terrifying. This movie has given me many nightmares. I'm sure it'll give me many more. <laughs> And and it flies yeah. when you watch it. This movie just flies by in terms of runtime. So, that that's my deal. I will say five.
2: I think a five is fair. I think you know. Yeah, absolutely fair. I
0: think it is too. Yeah, I think critics definitely slept on this movie. And I think um, I wasn't quite sure what I was going to give this movie until we had our discussion. But I think I'm with you, George. I'm going to give it a four point five out of five. I think it's. Really, really up there. At least a ninety percent. Um, I just love how much this movie makes me think. Any movie that I can walk away from and it makes me think about it for days on end, and I want to do research on it, and I want to like read think pieces about it. I know it's a good movie. Um, I feel like it has so much to say, and it's done so well. It's not uh, when it comes to these really hard, difficult conversations. It can feel really hard in these certain movies to explain all of that really well and, you know, A not hit you over the head with it, but B also give you enough to think about. And I think this movie does a really good job balancing those those two. I really love the complexity that they gave Sandy, Mrs. Collins, and how you can feel both both sides of the story with her, especially. Um, Obviously, we've mentioned the music. It's fantastic. I'm still going to probably keep listening to the playlist for a really long time um, over and over again because I love all of the songs in here. Um, And like you, Georgia, I think the only reason I, I knock it down half a point is just some things weren't explored as well as I would have liked. Like with Ellie's powers, especially, it just felt like... I think they could have maybe gotten a little bit more detailed into what her powers actually are, um, especially like her relationship with her mom. I don't even know if they implied that her mom had powers too or not, um, but it seemed kind of vague. And then the whole thing with um, Lindsay maybe being her dad. I don't know. That was also a a plop hole for me that I wasn't sure about. And I thought that was going to be explored more because Ellie doesn't know her dad but those are very minor things in comparison to the whole movie. I think it's still really great and highly recommend everybody watch this. Hopefully, if you got to the end of this podcast, you've already watched the <laughs> movie. Otherwise, we spoiled everything. <laughs> right? for Hopefully, you, but... even
2: in the first five minutes, you've already seen it because we were yeah. like, the ending. Yeah. But yeah. <laughs> it's even if you haven't seen it and you listen to us spoil the entire thing like seven times, you should watch it anyway because it's yeah, like so definitely. worth it. It's so good.
0: Yeah, yep. Yeah. I, I can't accurately explain how great it is to like have the twist at the end and everything come together. And now you'll know everything, so you'll be able to see that right off the bat uh, when you watch it. So. Well, thank you both for coming on the podcast today. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. Um, is This is a chance for you guys to, to plug your podcast. Please let everybody know where they can listen to you guys.
2: Yeah, so um, Comfort Film Podcasts. we're available pretty much anywhere you would get a podcast. Most people listen on Apple, um, iTunes, or Spotify, but we're on other platforms as well. Um, and if there's a platform you like to listen on that we're not on, um, check us out on Instagram at Comfort Films Podcast and let us know where you'd like to see us. Um, John runs our Instagram account and we're very active on there. Well, he is <laughs> with a lot of content um, beyond uh, our show, uh, just to do with the movies that we talk about, which are basically movies that we find comforting uh, and watch over and over again. Sometimes they're classic comfort type films sometimes they're a little bit offbeat and uh, we often welcome guests who share their favorite comfort films with us as well so um we're pretty much weekly and we'd be happy uh to have you stop on by and check us out
1: and if you want to take a look at our website it's comfort filled look <laughs> okay. okay if you want to check out our <laughs>
0: John can talk, <laughs> we promise. I can. We've, I... we've been talking for like two hours. <laughs> it's it's bah, bah, bah. Okay.
1: <laughs> and if you want to check out our website, you can take a look at comfortfilmspodcast.com. We have some different extras on there. You can also find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find a really, really piss-poor TikTok account if you want to take a look. Um, but, you know, we have, you know, a lot of things out there. would love you to stop on by. we love to chat movies. And, yeah, it's what George and I like to do.
0: Yep it's true awesome i love following you guys especially on instagram and taking your quizzes every week (laughs) and and i get real pissed if i don't know (laughs) um you guys do such a good job there so yeah definitely check them out and i'll link to you guys in the show notes as well so you can easily find comfort films podcast there too all right. So I'm sure you all are wondering what's our next flick going to be. So next episode, I am going to be joined by Jessica from Get Your Binge On. And we are going to be talking about Atonement. Ooh. And I have not seen this movie. Oh. Um, did I'm Have you either of you yes. seen this movie? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> we have. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-made movie. Yes. I'm not going to say awesome. anything no, else. Nothing but... at all. Yes, please don't no, spoil. No. I want to go in completely blind. So, yeah, I'm very excited to to talk about that on our next episode. Um, but, yeah, so thanks, everybody, again, for listening. As always, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. Since you're listening to us, um, you probably already know where we are, but we're on Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, basically anywhere you can find a podcast. We're probably there. We are also on social, on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at why the flick and then we also have a letterbox account at why the flick as well so you can check us out on all of those platforms um, thank you John and Georgia again for joining me today I was had such a blast talking about this movie and thank you for giving me an excuse to finally watch this movie I'm so glad I did um, well, thanks, yeah, for thanks, again, thanks for having us thanks for having us Claire yeah. yeah definitely thanks everybody for listening and we'll see you next time